Kaz. I'm married to the lovely Steph, <laughs> and um, it's really my privilege to be sharing with you this morning. Um, I'm going to start off by telling a story. In the early 1900s, there was a man living in Eastern Europe, and his name was Gustav. And Gustav and his family um, were quite poor, and they as with kind of every well-meaning father, he wanted to make a better life for his family. And so what he, what he and his wife decided is that they would move to America and start a better life there. But of course, moving to America is not a cheap endeavor. And so Gustav and his wife saved and scrimped for many, many years until finally they'd saved up, saved up enough to afford a third-class ticket on a steamship, just the one. And so the idea was that Gustav would go across he had earned dollars, and then he would be able to bring his wife over and his children. Um, but having saved this money, it, was, it still wasn't much. There wasn't much excess. And so what they decided was they, they bought the ticket, and then they would just take some food with on the ship, um, a circle of cheese, a round of cheese, and some crackers. And that is what Gustav would eat, so that he wouldn't actually have to buy food on the trip. And the little bit of extra money he had, he could use to set himself up once he got to New York. So he got on the this, on this ship, and he rationed his cheese and his crackers for the 12-day journey. And he decided, okay, I'm not going to go over that on any given day. No matter how hungry I am, I'm going to have my little bit of cheese and crackers every day. And certainly there were days where he would kind of stand at the dining room window trying to be subtle and just watch as his fellow, ship, his fellow passengers would enjoy these simple but hearty meals. And his, his tummy would rumble and he had wished that he could also share in these meals. But, you know, he had a bit of a vision for the day that would come one day when he could afford to buy his family those sorts of meals. And the days went by and eventually it was the, the day that they were due to arrive, and everyone was on the ship's deck. And there was such an excitement in the air, waiting to see Lady Liberty come into view. And Gustav got chatting to one of the ship's stewards. And they were having a great chat, and they were super excited. And eventually, after a little bit of um, back and forth, the ship's steward said, uh, excuse me, sir, I don't mean to pry, but may I ask you a question? And Gustav said, certainly, of course you may. And the ship's steward said... I, I couldn't help but notice you never took any of your meals with us in the dining hall. Did we do something to offend you? And Gustav said, no, um, not at all. Everyone's been really gracious. It's just that actually I don't have a lot of money and I didn't really have spare to spend on these meals. I, I needed to save every bit that I had for when I arrived. So that's the only reason. And <clears throat> the ship steward looked confused. Then he looked shocked. And then there was dismay on his face as he realized what had happened. And he explained to Gustav, no, sir, there were three meals a day included in your ship's passage. And at every meal, we've set the table for you, but you've never shown up. And so Gustav had not realized what was given to him. And so he suffered lack and he missed an opportunity for blessing and provision because he did not realize and in this season as a church, God has us exploring the outpoured spirit. And we've been looking at who is the Holy Spirit? Um, what is his role? What does it look like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And today I get to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And due to misunderstanding, in some cases due to abuse, 
um, and manipulation, in some cases simply due to lack of knowledge. There is a tragic contentiousness when it comes to the topic of the Holy Spirit. As a church, it is safer not to even go there because it freaks people out. People feel really uncertain when we discuss the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's pretty tragic because actually if you're a believer, the first person of the Godhead that you met was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who drew you to God. So whether or not you realize it, you're in relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you've ever felt like the Word of God, the Bible has spoken directly to you, that was the Holy Spirit. He illuminated it. That's one of his roles. If you've ever experienced the tangible presence of God, and and maybe that even happened this morning during this time of worship, that was the Holy Spirit that you experienced. Jesus himself said that the Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift. In fact, he said that us having the presence of the Holy Spirit is even better than us having Jesus with us. That's what he said. And he, and he paid the price for the presence of the Holy Spirit in full on the cross. He fully purchased our access to the Holy Spirit. And so it's the Holy Spirit who is here with us today. And for so many reasons, I fear that we, like Gustav, place ourselves on the outside looking in, longing for what is actually already ours. We scarcely realize what we have access to. And through this series and through um, your own time in the Word and through today's message, I really hope that that as a people we're gathering, we're gaining a more sane, a less threatening, a more relatable view of who the Holy Spirit is. So we're going to read God's word together, and as we do, I want to ask you to take note of the simple way that Peter shares the gospel in this passage from Acts 10. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel— announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee and after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him and receives forgiveness of sins, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. 
So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In this church, you just don't trust the water that people give you, so you bring your own. (laughs) Making safe choices. So, guys, today there are three things that I want to talk about. And the first thing probably is going to seem like something of a sidebar, but um, when we went through this passage of Scripture last week, it's, it's the thing that I felt God was putting a highlighter on. And given that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the Scripture, I couldn't very well ignore that. And so what the first thing is that I want to speak about is just the power of truth. And I feel like, I feel like everything I read lately, everything I hear, I feel like God is highlighting this thing to me, this, this point, the power of truth, the importance of truth in this season. The second thing we're going to look at is the gift and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the third thing is going to be how we access those gifts. So starting with that first one, the power of truth. If you were in one of our Sunday fellowship groups last week, you would have gone through this passage of scripture and you would have asked the Holy Spirit to show you things within it. And probably if there were 100 people who did that, there'd probably be 80 different things that were shown. That is, that is the power of God's word. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's beautiful that he does that. For me, the thing that was highlighted was just the power of truth, how Peter succinctly and fully shares the gospel and the spirit is poured out. It's amazing. Peter isn't telling particularly good stories. He's not scaring people. It's not going with like a turn or burn message. There's no smoke machine. There's no mood music. And I love mood music, so I'm not dissing it. Um, But all he does is he shares the truth. And the Spirit is poured out, and lives are eternally changed. We expect that the Holy Spirit would have been poured out on the Jews, right? They are the chosen people. It was always going to happen. But actually, what we see here is, is that the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. That's me, and that's you. That's the kid who bullied you in primary school. It's the kid who you bullied in high school. That's your cranky boss. That's the brother-in-law you've refused to speak to to for the last few years. Seemingly, without partiality, truth is spoken, that truth is accepted, and the Holy Spirit is poured out. That is amazing. There is immense power in truth. In John 8, Jesus says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's what happens here. Peter shares the truth, and people are emancipated. They are beautifully set free from the power of sin and death. It's just truth. That's all. That's all that's used. A little bit later in John 8, so Jesus has spoken about the power of truth. The truth will set you free. And then just a few verses on, he speaks about the antithesis of truth, which is Satan. And he calls him the father of lies. So Satan hates truth. He's the father of lies. All that is true, he opposes. He always, and, he, and he's, he's subtle. So it's half truths that he'll bring. It's half lies. It's, 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 it's not obviously like, okay, the sea is red. No, it's, it's more subtle than that. I can't think of a color that the sea isn't, so I'm not going to carry on with that metaphor. And so I really feel like I want to encourage you to, to have a new lens with how you look at what's going on in the world today. 
Yes, there is an attack on gender, and there's an attack on identity and sexuality and faith. These attacks, we see them, right? They're obvious. But perhaps a really helpful way to look at what is going on in the world is to see that there is an attack on truth. Truth is what is under attack. So we're going to pull up a photo of a billboard now. And this is a billboard that was um, up in Australia a few years ago. It was also an advert on a bunch of buses. And um, if you're listening to this and you can't see what's on the screen, what it is is there's a billboard of a pregnant tummy and a statement that says, a heart beats at four weeks. And then there is a URL underneath that. That is literally it. Pregnant belly, a heart beats at four weeks. It's just a fact, right? It's just a fact. It's just a statement of truth. And that billboard was deemed so offensive that it was pulled down. In fact, the Minister of Transport in Australia at the time said he was appalled. He was utterly appalled, and he made sure that that was taken off all the buses. Does that blow your mind? It's just a fact. There's no judgment made there. It is a fact that is stated. But the truth is seen as so offensive that people must be protected from it. When you think of some of what is shown on TV and in live performances and in music videos that no one seems to be offended by, and literal demonic demonstrations are reenacted by the musicians of our day. And I'm not talking about, I don't know, who are like creepy musicians, Corn or like Day of the Dead. Is that a bit? I don't know. I'm talking about Beyonce, Katy Perry, Lil Nas X, something like that. Sam Smith, these are musicians that we listen to on KFM. And if, if you look into it, guys, honestly, demonic demonstrations is what they are reenacting in their performances. And that's fine. The world doesn't mind. But call a child with female genitalia a girl, and you're a bigot. There is an assault on truth in the season, perhaps like never before. And it's complicated by the sheer number of sources that we subscribe to, the sheer number of voices that we listen to. It's complicated by um, algorithms on the internet, which play into our confirmation bias. So if you think something, if you have a particular view, then everything that shows up in your, in your feed or whatever is going to confirm that view. So we just get more and more entrenched in our views. And so how do we know what's true and what's not? How do we know what is a conspiracy theory and what is truth? Because everyone seems to have an agenda. There is no impartiality in the media anymore, if there ever was. How do we know which battles to fight and which topics are simply big, fat distractions served up by the father of lies to keep us running in circles and to rob us of our credibility? In John 16... Jesus reassures the disciples, saying, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. We need to discern truth by the word of God and by the spirit of God. And as believers, we need to have the self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit, the discernment and the wisdom, which are gifts of the spirit, to pick our battles If we're frothing about every current issue, we lose credibility. So I have a family member who I love so much, but he really is a conspiracy theorist. And 
there's a, there's a nefarious agenda behind just about everything that happens in his view. And I feel in God not to argue with him about everything I disagree with, because for the most part, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I want to hold my tongue and fight my pride and my need to be right so that when the topic does matter, when it has eternal significance, then when I speak up, he'll actually lean in and listen because I haven't shot my mouth off and I haven't got a, um, a history of arguing with everything he said. I want him to know that if it matters enough to me to actually disagree with him, then it might be worth him listening to. We need to discern what arguments God is calling us to, and then we need to have the courage to live as those who are willing to speak the truth in love, in power, and in authority. And as a recovering people pleaser, Steph will say I'm recovering very fast from that, but as a recovering people pleaser, this is difficult for me. I don't want to disagree. But there are times when it is worth disagreeing. It is times, there are times when it is worth speaking the truth in love. And I think God is calling us as a church to step up in that regard. Peter speaks the truth here, but it's a truth that matters eternally. And the spirit is poured out and people are set free. Guys, just because you're a believer... I don't want you to think that Satan stops lying to you. So he lies to unbelievers to prevent them from coming to faith. But he still lies to believers on all kinds of things. But there are two that I see that he is primarily focusing in on. I'm sure there are many. These are the two that, that God highlighted to me. The one is that you don't need to be part of a church community. Church community doesn't matter. Church community is old-fashioned. He, he does this so that he can isolate us. Actually, God's created us for community. God himself exists within community. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus loves his bride. The second is that you are not good enough. You make no difference. You are disqualified. You have nothing to add. You have nothing to bring. But scripture shows us that we are made righteous through the blood of Jesus and that we are all parts of the body and that we each have a role to play. Some of us might need to repent today for lies we've believed, things we've been living under. On to point number two and the actual topic of this sermon, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. The gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit himself is a gift, a gift whose presence we have access to, purchased by the blood of Jesus. Okay, so the Spirit himself is a gift, but he also gives spiritual gifts. And the term for spiritual gifts in the Greek is charismata, the charismata. In 1 Corinthians, we read, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And little sidebar, because I love sidebars. (laughs) You might be finding a pattern here. 
Don't you love the way this is worded? You see, there's, there's two trinities here. There's kinds of gifts, kinds of service, kinds of working, and then there's spirit, Lord, and God. It's just, it's just a, a cool way that it's written, and I like that. Um, but, but another way of, of saying this is that there are different gifts, many different ministries within which those gifts can be represented, but the same trinity, the same triune God is behind them all. I just, I love the way God confirms his truths, even just in the way that he writes these scriptures. And it goes on and it says, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So the manifestation of the spirit, these gifts, who receives them? Well, it must be adults, right? Or super holy people. Maybe it's um, full-time pastor guys. Like, is that, is that what we're seeing in the scripture? It actually, it says to each one. It's not to some. If, if you are born again and you have a willing heart to be used by God, that's you. That's what's on offer to you. How cool is that? There is a place set for you. I wonder if you knew that before now. And why does the Holy Spirit give these spiritual gifts? Well, so that I can feel important, Surely. So that I can look good, right? No, of course not. It says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's for the edification of others. It's for, it's for blessing others. <laughs> Obviously, it's also for glorifying God, right? And what are these gifts? We continue. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So the word charisma or charismata appears a few times in the New Testament. And whenever you read about the gifts of the Spirit, that is the term that is used, charisma or charismata. Charismata is the instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of any believer to exercise a gift for the edification of others. And it might be that you are super nervous of this whole topic, and you're just like, oh, please don't be weird, Cass, don't be weird. Um, I make no promises. <laughs> but the reality is that if you're a believer, I'm very sure that you have operated in many of these and you probably haven't realized it. Because when we think of the gifts of the Spirit, we think like smoke machines and stages and like mega phones. And we think big, right? But actually, so often, God is just quietly at work in our lives, just blessing people quietly. Glory to him and edification to the person involved. And so um, I'm going to give you a few examples from my, from my own experience, and I hope that they settle your heart. And I hope that as I do, it sparks memories of things that have, have happened in your own life that maybe you didn't realize were actually these gifts at play. So perhaps the most obvious one is, have you had it before? And feel free to nod. Um, where God puts someone on your heart. Like maybe you wake up and you're thinking of a person or something like that. You, you think of a person, you, oh, you, must, you must pray for them or you must get hold of them. And then you do. And they are, they're like, 
how did you know how much I needed that? How did you know that in that moment I needed that? Has that happened to you? I've learned that when God puts someone on my heart, I do not hesitate. I get hold of them because time and time and time again, it's turned out to be, it's turned out to be discernment and it edifies that person and it glorifies God and it thwarts the devil. What about physical healing? Has anyone experienced healing as a result of prayer? So I've reached my 40s, guys, and there are weird aches and pains. Today on the way here, um, I gave someone a big wave and I said, Steph, that's so-and-so. And And he laughed and he laughed because, no, it was not so-and-so. My eyes are failing. Um, But one of these new new aches and pains um, uh, was... Um, in April, I experienced something called plantar fasciitis. And what it is, it's like not serious, but there's very little you can do about it. Basically, the tendons under your foot, I don't know if they get pulled or stretched or something, but with every step that you take, it is so sore. It is like you have like horrible bruising under your foot. So every single step hurts. And so you start compensating, and then, of course, your like calf starts hurting, and it's just, it's, it's a whole thing. But... Google will tell you that if you have plantar fasciitis, it's going to last for 3 to 12 months. That sucks. Anyway, so I happened to be at the refinery um, one Monday evening for a meeting, and I saw Peter and Maven there, and um, I realized they were here for... I realized they were here for healing room, and I sheepishly asked them if they could pray for my foot, and fortunately for them, I had just showered, so it was fine. Um, And they prayed for me, and through the next morning, that pain completely disappeared. Now, how cool is that? I could have been in for three to 12 months of every step hurting. (laughs) And I could have been super grumpy. But the gift of healing edifies people, it glorifies God, and it thwarts Satan. And they they were being faithful with their gift. So if you've ever hesitated with an ache or pain, come to the healing room. It is their joy. They love it. They, they wait here hoping for the opportunity to pray for someone because they know that it edifies people, glorifies God, and thwarts Satan. Lizelle Borthwick and I had a really cool experience when, once. Um, it was to do with the word of knowledge. So Lizelle was pregnant. She was feeling nervous in her pregnancy. And she felt to ask me to pray for her. And I prayed for her and I laid hands on her tummy. And as I did, I felt God um, drop the name Abigail into my heart. And I said, sure, Lizelle, you know, I feel like God saying this girl's Abigail. And she kind of like looked at me <laughs> um, in the way that only Lizelle can do. And she said, have you been speaking to Byron? And I said, no, I have not been speaking to Byron. And what had happened was that her and Byron had loved the name Abigail, but they had said, God, we really want you to name our child. And so if this is the name you have for her, please won't you confirm it. And we're not going to tell anyone what that name is. Now, I would like to say that I'm so clever and I, you know, out of the 50 billion girl names, I somehow figured out that this was the one. No, guys, I I can't claim that. That is a word of knowledge from God. You can't fake that. You can't make it up. You can't, there's just no explaining it. And so that word of knowledge... What did it do? It edified them, it glorified God, and it thwarted Satan. Because now, when they as parents feel fear for this child, they're going to remember, oh, wait a second, God named her. Wait a second, God confirmed something about her before she was even born. 
And that's, that's, a, that's a word of knowledge. What about prophecy? So God often speaks to me through dreams. Sometimes Steph, they're, they're not prophetic, and Steph just needs to apologize for what dream Steph has done. I wonder if any of the other wives can relate. Um, but in terms of prophetic dreams, I had a dream once so clearly about this friend of mine, Helen. We'd been friends for about a decade. She had been single throughout that time. And in the dream, clearest day, she married... A particular man. And now in real life at that time, that man's wife had just died of cancer, leaving him caring for his children. But this dream was clear as day. And I said to God, you know, is that from you? And he said, it is. And I was like, can I tell her? And he's like, no. And I was like, okay. He says, you can't tell her the details of the dream. So I said, okay. And I was like, okay, but I'm still going to be quite irritating because it's who I am. And he was like, yeah, it is. So, so I said to, so I think at some point Helen said, look, I don't think I'm ever going to get married. And I was like, yeah, but you are. And she's like, you don't know that. I said, I do because God showed me in a dream. I even know who you're going to marry. And she's like, yeah, sure. She's like, well, who? <laughs> and I said, I can't tell you. Anyway, fast forward a few months and this man marries someone else. That's awkward. And I said, God, that was, you know, what on earth? And he said, just hold up. And I was like, okay. Fast forward two years. Helen is engaged to a man who, at the same time that this other man was going through what he went through, this man lost his wife to cancer, leaving him as a father of young kids. And so it was never about the specific man. It was what he represented. And there came, there came a, an evening where I was with Helen and... Um, and she said to me, you know, I'm so, I'm so in love with this man. I, I so love these children. I so want to be their mother. But how do I know that that's not just me being selfish? How do I know that this is actually what God has for them? And I was like, one moment. And I went to the bathroom. and I was like, God, can I tell her? And he's like, you can tell her. And I went back and I said, Helen, do you remember the dream? And she's like, yes, the irritating dream that you wouldn't give me the details of. And I said, yes. I feel like I'm allowed to tell you about the dream now. And I told her. And her eyes filled with tears because she just could not believe that God had seen fit years ago to already confirm this thing for this moment, that he saw her in that way, that he loved her enough to tell someone that she trusted, a close friend, who could confirm her decision. And, you know, Helen has taken on two sets of in-laws, right? So, so she's got her parents, she's got her husband's parents, and she's got his first wife's parents. That is a lot to take on. And when the going gets tough, when Satan wants to whisper things to her, he has, he has just, he can't say anything because she knows that she knows that she knows that this is from God because he confirmed it through that prophetic dream. So prophecy can edify people, glorify God, and thwart Satan. I've also had dreams where people's sins have been revealed to me. And I've had dreams where people's illnesses have been revealed to me. And do you know why God shows me those things? Not so that I can come with judgment, not so that I can wield a weapon, so that I can pray and so that I can stand with those people in faith. That's why he, that, that's why he gives prophetic inklings. It's, it's so that we can partner with him for the good of those people, for edifying, for glorifying God, for thwarting Satan. Interpretation of tongues. I've, I've never um, prayed with a, I've never brought a tongue that's, uh, God's never used me in that way. And for the most part, when people do, it just sounds odd. But one time in my life, just once, um, I had an experience where I baptized someone and 
as she came out from the water, she started praying in tongues. And as she prayed, it was the coolest thing. I could see what she was praying. So I saw her walking through her house and basically declaring her home for God and declaring her family and all aspects of her life for God. Like she wanted to give them to God. That's what I was seeing happening. I don't know how to, it was like I was dreaming it, but I was awake. It was weird. And I told her what I was kind of seeing, hearing, and she couldn't believe it because that had been exactly what was on her heart. Now, now think about someone who's praying in tongues for the first time and how Satan is absolutely going to come and tell you that that is nonsense, that you're making it up, that it's not true, except that someone has come with the interpretation of that tongue like, in that moment, like just squashing every bit of doubt. And so she was, through the interpretation of tongues, she was edified, God was glorified, and Satan was thwarted. Faith and miracles. Guys, I think we think of miracles only as these crazy physical phenomena, and they can be. They can be. It can be walking on water or turning water to wine or multiplying the fish and loaves. It can be all those things. But to me, the biggest miracle is a changed heart. Like, that blows my mind when someone's heart changes. And so one of the biggest miracles that I've experienced is um, my oldest brother got divorced. Him and his wife were unbelievers. And, um, and at the time, I was praying so hard for them, and I felt God say, they're going to turn to me, and they're going to reunite. I even wrote that in a letter to my brother at the time, and I'm sure he thought I was very strange. And anyway, it took many, many years. But first his ex-wife came to faith, and then he came to faith, and they have reunited. And is there a bigger or more glorious miracle that is going to change generations than something like that? That is huge. Like, wonderful if your leg grows back. That is cool. But this changes generations. This is a miracle we're celebrating. And I think the miracle of a changed heart, I don't think we celebrate it enough. Like, that is, it's the biggest thing. It's the most incredible thing. And it, and it is worth celebrating. It, these kinds of miracles edify people, they glorify God, and they thwart Satan. And so I'm not going to define the different spiritual gifts today. I've just touched on the ones that I have any kind of experience with. And I was really surprised, I have to say, when I went through um, that scripture and I started thinking about it for myself. I couldn't believe that actually I'd had all these experiences. And I'm hoping that something of that has happened for you as well this morning. But more than that, I'm trusting that you've you've gotten a sense of actually these things aren't wild and wacky. This is what we have access to. This is, this is the table that's set before us as believers. We need to stop attributing things to good fortune and coincidence and give the glory to God. The spiritual gifts are not reserved for special Christians. They're available to you as the spirit wills and as your own heart is open, and I think that is so cool. Okay, the muses are welcome to come up. I'm, I'm on point number three now, which is on receiving the gifts. And um, sidebar, <laughs> in our recent series on um, sexuality, God showed me something so sweet and so cool about himself, and it's that God really values consent. He really prizes consent. And he gives us free will. He gives us free choice. And the fact that he does that means that we have 
no right to be bullies. We have no right to be domineering. We have no right to be abusive. We have no right even to be Bible bashers. Because even knowing that um, salvation is the best possible thing for us, even knowing that, God still doesn't force it on us. He does not force himself on us. And I think that thing in the nature of God is why sexual abuse or or any abuse is so damaging to us as humans because actually we've been designed with free will. And when our free will is is taken from us, it, it goes against the way we've been created and it's so damaging to us. But the point, I know that's a sidebar, the point that it leads to is that the gifts are not forced on us. They're not forced on us. And I think, I think people fear um, charismatic meetings and whatever because I don't want to dance weirdly and I don't want to say weird things and I don't want to be odd, right? But actually, God's not, that, that's not how he is. He doesn't force you. He doesn't force you. And, and so we fear losing control. But actually, if you lose control, either it's because you, you've submitted your, your control to God, perhaps, or it's not of God. But I just, I just do not see something in the, in the personality of God where he forces us to act a certain way. It's just not in his nature. He invites us, and we have the choice. And that's something really beautiful and really honoring of God. I really, really love that about God. We receive the gifts by faith if we actually want them. And when Peter shared the gospel with those Gentiles, those Gentiles were there. They were leaning in. Their hearts were open. They were humble. They were hungry. And God is calling us to be the same. Let us not be like Gustav, guys. Let us not be cheese and cracker Christians standing on the outside thinking, okay, well, one day in heaven, I don't know if you can... You know, say New York City and heaven are the same, but one day in heaven, one day when I get there, then I'll have access to all these things. Actually, there's all kinds of things we have access to now, and why do we have access to them? I hope you haven't missed it. It's to edify people, it's to glorify God, and it's to thwart Satan. We have access to these things right here, right now, on earth. God has set a place for you at the bountiful banquet table of His Holy Spirit. If your heart is hungry for more of God this morning, I want to invite you to close your eyes and pray with me. Lord God, we trust you and we want everything you have for us. Thank you, Lord, that you honor us with free choice. With our free choice, we choose you. We want want to be the most effective servant of yours we can possibly be. We want to be empowered the same way the disciples were in the upper room, like Derek was saying earlier, Lord. Mm -hmm. We want your gifts. We want your empowerment. We want it so that we can edify your people and so that we can bring you glory. We want you, Holy Spirit of God. Amen.